Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. For the fact that you are willing to hear and able to answer prayer. We praise you for the blood and righteousness of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who opens for us a new and living way to you. Thank you that to whatever burden we drug in here this morning, we can leave with the assurance that you have everything under control. There is nothing too hard for you. Increase our faith. In fact, as we study your word, open our understanding that we may comprehend the scriptures, draw to yourself those who should be saved, cause your people to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory we pray. The church said amen. Nehemiah chapter 2. Last Lord's Day, we looked at Nehemiah 1, which is the prayer of Nehemiah. And I talked to you about the kind of prayer God answers. I want us to look at the first half of the second chapter where the story continues as we close out prayer emphasis week today. And I want to raise a question today. Can you handle an answered prayer? Hear the word of God from Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning at verse number 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. The letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. But the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant 
heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Can you handle an answered prayer? June 17th, 1989, it was a Saturday. I was a 16-year-old boy preacher who had just finished a week of preaching in Detroit, Michigan. As I was flying home from Detroit to Los Angeles, the Lord called my father from labor to reward. When I landed at LAX without telling me what was going on, family rushed me to the hospital. My father had grown ill and his condition quickly worsened that week. I did not know it. But I sensed something was happening, and on the way, I prayed that God would heal my father. But as I prayed, there was a clear sense that God was not going to answer that prayer. He did not. So I edited my prayer, and I prayed. And Lord, if you are going to take my father, at least hold him long enough for me to say goodbye. As I prayed, there was a clear sense that God was not going to answer that prayer. And he did not. There was a time when I would have pointed to that day as the worst day of my life, but there's been too many miles passed since then for me to describe it that way now, and I have in the succeeding years seen the various ways God has done great things in my life through an unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer is a mystery, but so is answered prayer. You may find yourself in a place where you ask, why did God not answer that prayer? The best answer to that question is a question. Why does God choose to answer any prayer? Mark it down. God does not owe us anything. Let me tighten that up. God does not owe us anything except divine judgment, holy wrath, and eternal condemnation. Yet Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in the time of need. Because of the bloody cross and empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
God's holy throne has become an unlimited fountain of amazing grace. We should not ever question the goodness, power, or wisdom of God because He does not answer a prayer the way we want Him to. In fact, the reason for unanswered prayer may be in the mirror. I submit to you today that there are times that God does not answer prayer the way we desire because God knows we are not ready for what we are asking for. I know this may be a different thought, but just stay with me for a moment. Did you know that it's dangerous for God to answer a prayer you ain't ready for? In 2 Kings chapter 20, the prophet Isaiah was sent to ailing King Hezekiah to say on God's behalf, get your business in order for you shall die and not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed and God added 15 years to his life. When the preachers would tell that story when I was a boy, the church would go up shouting about that miracle of answered prayer. And I thought it was great, too, until I read the rest of Hezekiah's story. During those 15 added years, Hezekiah committed a sin that was rooted in pride, and his pride resulted in the people of Israel being led into Babylonian captivity. And during those 15 years, Hezekiah had a wicked son named Manasseh who took his throne and repealed all of the spiritual reform that Hezekiah established in Israel. Some answered prayers can be dangerous. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the people of Israel said, give us a king so that we can be like the other nations. When Samuel the prophet took the request of the Lord, the Lord warned the people that if you get a king, he will send your sons to war, he will make your people slaves, and he will take the profits from your labor. But they insisted, give us a king so that we will be like any other nation. And God gave them what they want. And they became like any other nation. And the repercussions of that answered prayer still affect Israel to this day. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, when you come into your kingdom, let my two boys have the chief seats of honor, one on your left hand and one on your right hand. Matthew 20, verse 22, Jesus says to her, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup from which I must drink? I love that response. Jesus says, you asking for seats, but them seats cost. Can you pay for them seats? Trouble come with those seats. And there are times when God does not do what we want him to do, and we 
we are upset with God. But may I suggest to you that there are times when God doesn't answer the way we want him to because God is loving enough to say, as Jesus said to the boys that day, you don't even know what you are asking for. God answers prayer four ways. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says, grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says, go. Too many times we are preoccupied with God saying no when we should focus on those times when God is saying, grow. Hear me, church. It is dangerous for God to put something in your hands that your heart is not ready for. So I stand to ask you today, can you handle an answered prayer? The first half of Nehemiah chapter 2 gives us several characteristics of the person who is ready for an answered prayer. First, to be ready for an answered prayer, it requires the discipline of waiting on God. The discipline of waiting on God. The story of Nehemiah begins in chapter 1. He is in the city of Chislev, serving as cupbearer for King Artaxerxes of Persia. As he is carrying out his royal duties, <clears throat> his brother Hananiah shows up with other men from Judah. Nehemiah inquires about the condition of the remnant of Jews who have returned to Palestine after the Babylonian captivity and the city of Jerusalem. They tell him that the remnant is in great shame and trouble and that the walls of the city of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. No ancient city had any credibility if it didn't have strong walls. Chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This fourth verse of chapter 1 tells us that Nehemiah prayed. Then the rest of chapter 1 tells us what Nehemiah prayed. Notice in verse 1, chapter 1, that the story begins in the month Chislev, mid-November to mid-December in our calendar. Then look at chapter 2, verse 1. Beginning of chapter 2, it is now the month of Nisan, mid-April to mid-May in our calendar. Between chapter 1 and chapter 2, four months have passed. Between Nehemiah praying and God answering, four months have passed. And when we meet Nehemiah in chapter 2, he is still doing what he was doing in chapter 1. He is serving as cupbearer for the king. Nothing has changed in Nehemiah's world 
but yet he has not forgotten the burden that he had taken to the Lord in prayer. The burden was so heavy, says the beginning of chapter 2, that one day he did something he never did before. He expressed sadness in the presence of the king. In verse 2, the king said to Nehemiah, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah had prayed, but four months later, Artaxerxes had to ask Nehemiah what was wrong because for months, even though he was carrying a heavy burden, he had not uttered a word about it to Artaxerxes or anyone else. For months after he prayed, he just waited on God to move. And friends, this is the first sign of a person who is ready for an answered prayer. You've got to learn how to wait on God's perfect timing. I want you to write that sentence down. God's timing is perfect. And you will miss what God is up to in your life if you don't learn how to wait on God. Interesting way the Chinese bamboo tree grows. It is planted and watered and fertilized, but nothing happens the first year, the second year, the third year, or the year after. Five years in, that the bamboo tree can grow up to 90 feet in six weeks. And the question is does it grow to 90 feet? in six weeks or five years? Of course, the answer is five years because there would never be the sudden growth if you're not watering it for over the years. And I submit to you today, friends, that all of us have bamboo experiences in life. Those times when we erroneously think that yes automatically means now. But friend, you can miss your appointment with an answered prayer if you don't learn how to wait in God's waiting room until God tells you to move. You see, being in God's will is about doing the right thing the right way for the right reason, with the right attitude, at the right time. But don't miss, don't discount that last phrase. Because you could be doing the right thing. You could be doing it for the right reasons. You could be doing it with the right attitude and still miss God if you keep trying to run ahead of him. So you've heard the statement, 
don't just stand there, do something. God's strategy is just the opposite. I stand to tell you, until the Lord tells you to move, don't just do something, stand there and wait on God. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 18, Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, wait here, daughter, to see how the matter is going to turn out. And Psalm 46, verse 10 says, be still. And know that I am God. If you're going to be ready for an answered prayer, church, you've got to learn how to wait for God's perfect timing. That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed about it. He was trusting God for it. He needed God to do it. But he was wise enough not to break into the king's quarters and and demand a leave of absence, that would have gotten him killed. He didn't call together a group of like-minded Jewish citizens and share his plan and seek their support and advice. That would have gotten him discouraged. And he did not make any emotional, thoughtless, or rash decisions. That would have gotten him nowhere. When he received the bad news about Israel, he took his burden to the Lord, yes, watch me, but he then left it in God's hands and waited on God to move. And if you're going to receive an answer to prayer, you just got to learn sometimes how to wait on God's timing. Psalm 40, I just want to quote verse 1, but you should read the whole psalm in its entirety. It'll bless you. The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear unto me, and he heard my cry, and he picked my feet out the miry clay, and he set me on a rock, and he put a new song in my heart. He, he said, God did all of that, and I just did one thing. I just waited on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, But let steadfastness have its perfect work so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. If God is going to move on your behalf, you've got to discipline yourself to wait on God. Wait on God to act. Wait on God to move. Wait on God to respond. Wait on God to answer. Wait on God to keep his word. Wait on God to intervene. When I was a boy, Deacon Nate Lewis used to sing every now and then during devotion, you can't hurry, God. No, you just got to wait. You got to trust him and give him time no matter how long it takes. He's a God you can't hurry, but he'll be there. Don't worry, for he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. To be ready for an answer of prayer, first of all, requires 
the discipline of waiting on God. But secondly, it also requires the devotion of watching for God. Stay with me, church. Not only must you wait on God, you must also watch for God. Nehemiah received bad news about the city of Jerusalem. He is brokenhearted by what he hears. He takes his matter to the Lord in prayer, and he waits on God to move. But one day, the well of sorrow that filled his heart overflowed, and he says, I had never shown sadness, verse 1, in the king's presence before, but this day, he couldn't help himself. His attitude, his demeanor, his countenance changed, and the king noticed it, verse 2, and said to him, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? There is nothing, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Look at the end of verse 2, Nehemiah says, and I was very much afraid. And rightfully so. Ancient kings were very temperamental. They partied a lot and didn't want anybody raining on their parade. Because if they were as great as they were in their own minds, what reason would their servants have to be sad? Sad-looking servants raised royal suspicion particularly the cupbearer. Verse 1 says, they set wine before him, and I took the wine and then gave it to the king. That's the role of the cupbearer. These kings were so paranoid that they kept with them a person who carried their cup at all times, and if they were thirsty, the servant would pour something into the cup, and if the, the cupbearer tasted it first and didn't die, then the king would drink some. You can imagine with these paranoid kings, if the, the cupbearer standing next to the king starts looking funny, it better be food poisoning. If not, he will be banished at worst, at best that is, and executed at worst. Nehemiah had every reason to be afraid when Artaxerxes started questioning his attitude. He was afraid, and he responded cautiously. Look at verse 3. He begins wisely by saying, let the king live forever. <laughs> then he asked, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? This is a shrewd answer. We've got to read Ezra chapter 4. The enemies of Israel convinced the king that Jerusalem was filled with political troublemakers, and the king signed an executive order that the city of Jerusalem was not to be rebuilt. Wisely here, Nehemiah does not mention specifically Jerusalem in his response. He calls it the place where my father's graves are, appealing to the king's sense of respect for one's ancestral 
burial place. So the king replied by saying in verse 4, what are you requesting? At this point, when the king does not respond to Nehemiah's open sorrow with anger or suspicion, Nehemiah begins to get a sense that God may be up to something. But he wants to be sure before he makes any move. So at the end of verse 4, before he says anything else, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. Mm -mm. He didn't go to his prayer closet. He prayed a quickie prayer right there. Silently, spontaneously, he prayed an emergency 911 prayer. Aren't you glad God answers emergency 911 prayers? But God answered that emergency prayer because Nehemiah didn't wait for the emergency to start praying. He had been praying for months. Extended communion with God invokes immediate spiritual help. He breathed a simple prayer to God. It says, Lord, this is what I think he said. You, I can't prove it. You can't disprove it. So just play along for just a minute. I think Nehemiah said, Lord, I think this is the moment I've been praying for. I think this is it. Lord, help me so that I don't mess up the moment. He started talking. He says in verse 5, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I'm asking that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah now has the boldness to ask the dangerous request that the king give his cupbearer a leave of absence to rebuild a city that the king had decreed was not to be rebuilt. And instead of ordering him to be arrested, in verse 6, the king just asked, how long is it going to take you to do it? And at this point, Nehemiah knows that the Lord is at work on his behalf. And what he's showing us here is that if you're going to be ready for an answered prayer, church, you, you not only have to wait on God, but you also got to learn how to watch for God. A torrential storm flooded a small town. The citizens were evacuated, but when they went to the church, the pastor refused to go. He said he had prayed for deliverance, and he was trusting God, and he was going to wait on God to rescue him. They didn't fight the man of faith. They came back later to try again. He refused. He was trusting God. The next time they showed up, the water was so high that they had to come in boats. He refused to get on the boat. He had prayed about it. He was waiting on God. God was going to deliver him. The last time they tried to rescue old Rev, 
the water was so high he was on the roof of the church. But he refused to get in the boat. My faith will not waver, he says. I'm waiting on God to rescue me. Old Rev died in the flood. And when he got to heaven, he was an unhappy preacher. God, I prayed and I trusted you and I was waiting on you to deliver me. And my faith didn't waver in front of a watching world and you let me die without delivering me. Why, Lord? which the Lord replied, who do you think kept sending them boats after you? If you're going to get an answer to prayer, church, you got to not only wait on God, you got to learn how to watch for God. You can miss your answer if you are looking in one direction while God is working in another direction direction. You, you've got to learn how to watch for God to work. Really, sometimes the answer is simply a matter of focus. Nehemiah was focused on God in the midst of a terrible situation, and because his focus was right, he was able to hear the voice of God in the midst of what may seem to be a common conversation between a king and his cupbearer. He did not need an overt miracle. He did not need a prophetic word. He did not need a supernatural sign. Nehemiah was able to hear the voice of God in the words of the king. He was able to see the hand of God intervening in the midst of his conversation with Artaxerxes. He could sense the call of God to a greater work while he was carrying out his present responsibility. And church, I'm trying to tell you this. Your situation won't change by focusing on the situation. You've got to learn how to focus on God. Prayer is a lot like surfing. I've never been surfing, but I know how to read. And it's obvious that a surfing instructor can teach you to surf, tell you what kind of board to buy, tell you what kind of waves to look for, tell you how to catch a wave, how to ride the wave, how to dismount the wave without washing out. But no surfing instructor can ever teach you how to make waves. God makes waves. Surfers do not. If you want to go out and surf and there are no waves, guess what? You ain't surfing that day. But when the surfer catches a good God-made wave, they make the most of the opportunity. They'll even do it even if rain is falling. Answered prayer is a lot like that church. To be ready for an answered prayer, you've got to stop trying to make waves. 
and watch for the God-made waves in your life. Stop swinging at every pitch hoping to hit something. Wait on God to throw you one over the plate. Stop asking God to bless what you are doing. And start asking God to help you do what he's already blessing. I thought I'd have a witness there. I'm glad I brought my own just in case. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Solomon says it this way to his son, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. If you want an answer to prayer, don't focus on the need, focus on God. Don't focus on the problem, focus on God. Don't focus on the burden, focus on God. Don't focus on the sickness, focus on God. Don't focus on the hardship, focus on God. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be what? Added unto you. One more idea. To be ready for an answered prayer requires the discipline of waiting on God, the devotion of watching for God, and thirdly, the duty of working with God. You see, church, prayer is not an excuse for idleness. Believing prayer requires spiritual partnership. Without God, you cannot do it. Without you, God will not do it. So to be ready for an answered prayer, you must not only wait on God and watch for God, you must work with God. Nehemiah shows us two ways to work with God for answered prayer in the text. First, be ready for the opportunity. Be ready for opportunity. In chapter 1, Nehemiah receives bad news about the city of Jerusalem. He prays about it in chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, look at verse 11. He says in this prayer, in the middle of verse 11, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah, in chapter 1, was not praying merely for divine intervention. He was praying for personal opportunity. Nehemiah didn't pray the way many of us pray. You know how many of us would have prayed this, chapter 1? We would have heard Hananiah's report, and we would have prayed about the situation. And then we, many of us pray like this. Lord, the walls of Jerusalem is broken down. And Lord, the, the gates are burned with fire. Fix it, Lord. Do something, Lord. Send somebody, Lord to rebuild the wall. I know you're able, Lord. 
There's nothing too hard for you to do, Lord. I praise you in advance for what you are going to do. And that may be why our prayers don't work. Because we may trust divine intervention, but we don't practice personal responsibility. But Nehemiah doesn't pray for that. He doesn't just pray for a miracle. He prays for an opportunity. If you're going to see an answer to prayer, maybe you need to stop praying for a miracle and pray for an opportunity. But an opportunity is harder. It's one thing to pray, Lord, save my loved one. It's another thing to pray, Lord, help me to be a witness for Jesus in front of my loved one and to guard my ways so that my lifestyle don't contradict my witness. Y'all not in here with me. It's one thing to pray, Lord, bless my children to grow up right. It's another thing to say, Lord, help me to be careful how I live in front of my children so that I don't set a bad example. Help me to follow you in front of my children so that they will see it pays to serve Jesus. Are y'all in here with me? It's one thing to say, Lord, bless me to get a promotion. But it's another thing to say, Lord, teach me how to be faithful in my present assignment even though I don't like it, so I can demonstrate that I deserve what I'm asking you to do. We don't like praying that way. We just want to let go and let God. We don't pray for miracles. We pray for miracles instead of opportunities because miracles are cheap. Miracle don't cost you nothing. You can just sit back and watch God work. But to pray for an opportunity is to say, Lord, it can't happen without you. But while you working, sign me up to do whatever you want me to do to be a part of the answer to the prayer. This is how Nehemiah prayed. He didn't just pray for a miracle. He prayed for an opportunity, and he was ready when the opportunity come. When, 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 when King Artaxerxes says, what is your request? Nehemiah didn't say, well, let me think about it. Well, uh, how long is it going to take you? You know, I don't know. We don't know how long these things take. We'll just see how it turn out. Well, what do you need? Nehemiah didn't say, well, let, let, let me get my ducks in a row and I'll get back to you. If he would have answered that way, the door of opportunity would have been closed and it may have never opened again. But, but when God was ready to move, Nehemiah was ready for the opportunity. Look at, look at the text. He says in verse 4, what is your request? Verse 5, he says, send me to my 
father city in Judah that I may rebuild it. Verse 6, the king says, how long is it going to take you? Nehemiah comments, it pleased the king to send me when I gave him a time. Nehemiah knew how long it would take to rebuild the wall. He was ready. And he said, he knew what it would take to get there. Verse 7, I need letters to be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. He was so doing his homework to be ready. Look at verse 8. He even knew that the keeper of the king's forest was a man named Asaph. And he said, I need you to write old Asaph a letter so he can give me wood for the temple, wood for the wall, and wood to build me a house. He was ready for the opportunity. And if you're going to work with God, you've got to be ready for the opportunity when God opens the door. But not only must you be ready for opportunity, lastly, you need to be ready for opposition. I was a year or so in my first pastorate. An older pastor invited me to preach in Kentucky at his church for a youth meeting. And as we sat at lunch, I schooled this older pastor with my foolish notions about pastoral ministry. Things were going great in the first year or so of my church. And uh, I'm just telling them how wonderful things were and how great things were going to be. He listened to me. And when I finished, he says, HB, I'm glad the Lord is blessing your honeymoon at the church. But he said, if you come back here again singing that same song, I'm going to know you haven't done anything. Because if you endeavor to do anything great for God, things will inevitably get worse. I heard what he said, but I just dismissed it. As an old preacher hating on a young preacher that was doing better than he was. But that was before a storm broke out in my church. He invited me again to preach for him. By this time, he was in Michigan, not Kentucky. They picked me up from the airport and drove me to him at a restaurant for us to have lunch. When I sat down... He said, Junior, how are you doing? And I told him, first word, it got worse. This is the testimony of Nehemiah. Up until this point of the story, everything has been going Nehemiah's way. I'm almost done, but I need you to hear this closing part of the message. Up until this point, everything has been going Nehemiah's way. It was not because of his skill, experience, leadership, godliness or wisdom. The Bible says at the end of chapter 2, verse 8, look at it. The king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. The favor of the Lord was just on Nehemiah's life. So much so that a king who had no reason to help Nehemiah gave Nehemiah everything 
Nehemiah asked for. The proverb says that when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he'll make even your enemies be at peace with you. Stop trying to hustle and negotiate and please people to get where you need to be. Just make sure you please in the Lord and God knows how to deal with the people in your life. Verse 9, I came to the governors in the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters King had even sent with him officers of the army and horsemen. He's riding into Jerusalem triumphantly. Everything is going his way. But then look at verse 10. But when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I want you to hear this, and I'm wrapping up. The good hand of the Lord was with Nehemiah. But it did not stop the fact that opposition still rose against him. The fact that God is with you doesn't guarantee that everything is going to go your way. When you are trying to do the will of God, you better be ready for Sam Ballard and Tobiah to show up at some point. Stop taking it personally when they show up. It's not even about you. They didn't even know who Nehemiah was. He said in verse 10, they just heard that somebody had come for the welfare of Israel. Do you know, church, people don't even have to know you not to like you. When you are trying to do what pleases the Lord, Sam Ballard and Tobiah are going to show up at some point. When you declare, I'm going to rise and build for God, the enemy is going to say, we will arise and stop them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 is a life verse for me where Paul says that an effective and great door has been opened for me and there are many adversaries. That verse blows me away because it disabused me of my notion that the sign that God has opened the door is that, they're, they're, that he'll clear the path when he opens the door. But Paul says... God opened a great door, but the God that opened the door allowed enemies to be at the door to try to stop me from walking through. The fact that God is leading does not mean everything will go your way. The door of opportunity turns on the hinge of adversity. But here's the good news, church. The God that controls the opportunity also controls the opposition. And when you're in the will of God, you're in a a plan that's bigger than 
your enemies. It's a plan bigger than you. This city has got to be rebuilt. The wall has got to be rebuilt because a few centuries later, Jesus has got to die outside them walls. When you are in the will of God, you don't have to worry about the opposition. God will take care of the opposition. In fact, that's why as you pray, you need a Bible, you need a hymn book, and you need a journal. You need a journal to keep a record of what you're praying for, but not just a record of what you're praying for. You need a record of how God has answered. And that record, that journal of how God has answered your prayer needs to be your faith file. So that when Sam Ballard and Tobias show up, you don't freak out and give up. You just go back through your faith file and remember what the Lord has already done. And you're able to say to yourself, if the Lord helped me with King Artaxerxes, I ain't got to worry about Sam Ballard and Tobias. Talking to some people in here. You're worrying instead of praying. Why are you worrying? You little HB, you don't know what's in front of me. You're right. I don't know what's in front of you. But what's behind you? Sometimes to face the future, you need to look in the past and remember what God has already done so that when trouble comes and you don't know how you're going to make it through, you don't freak out. You just say, no, all right, now just remember, this ain't the first time I've been sick and the doctor gave me a bad report. This ain't the first time I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. This ain't the first time I've had to look for a new job. This ain't the first time a loved one let me down. This ain't the first time my marriage has been in trouble. This is not the first time a storm has been raging in my life, but the God that brought me through yesterday, he ain't dead, he ain't sick, and he ain't hurt. He's still able. Let me tell you the rest of the chapter right quick. So, Nehemiah came to town, and he just went around the city talking to nobody. He says, I didn't tell anybody what the Lord put in my heart. That's a whole nother sermon. When God is working, sometimes you need to stop talking. He said, I didn't tell anybody what the Lord had put in my heart. And he went around surveying the city. And then when he was ready, he called a meeting of all of the remnant and challenged them to arise and rebuild the wall. And when he finished, I'm just going to read this to you and I'm done. The Bible says, they responded. Look at verse 18. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Look at verse 19. 
but when Sam Ballad the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and they got him a friend, Geshem the Arab heard it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Look at verse 20, and I'm done. I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. <laughs> Friend, who cares who's against you if the God of heaven is on your side? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Who can lay any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn when Christ has died and moreover is risen again and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Make an intercession for us. As a boy, my mama used to sing a song with the choir that said, that problem that I had just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried, and I just got deeper involved. But I turned it over to Jesus, and I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord, and he worked it out. Is there a witness? He'll work it out if you turn it over to him. I'm finished. God be praised. Stand with me. Somebody here needs to take a step of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast, please visit us online at shallow.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.